You are listening to the Prosperous Pet Business Podcast with pet business coach Kristen Morrison, episode number 23. Welcome to the Prosperous Pet Business Podcast, where it's all about pet business challenges, real coaching, and real solutions to help you thrive in your pet business and in your life. And now, here's your host, pet business coach Kristen Morrison. Hi, pet business owners. I hope you're doing well. It's so funny because I just started getting ready to record the podcast and there's an owl outside my window and it's so loud. (laughs) I tried going out there and looking for it, but I couldn't find it. But you may hear some hooting (laughs) in between what I have to say today. So I just wanted to give you a heads up on that. But it's quite wonderful actually hearing this owl doing its thing as dusk approaches. So I'm excited about today's speaker, but before I share about him and the segment, I wanted to let you know that a lot of you have asked me about the goal setting workbook that I have. And for those of you who don't know about it, I have a free goal setting workbook that you can download. And it's that time of year, so if you want to go ahead and download it, I will be putting that in the show notes. And I've been working with a lot of pet business owners lately to help them create their business and their life plan goals. And it is so incredible to see them go from literally zero to 60, (laughs) both financially and emotionally once they get clear on what they want and need in their business. And then they take a step-by-step approach on how to get what they want. And I'd really love for you to experience that too. So if you haven't yet written down your goals for the year, I really encourage you to do that. And the best year yet goal setting workbook that I created will help you do that. And again, it's a free download. So you'll find that in the show notes and I'll be sharing that link in just a minute. Also, I wanted to share that if you'd like support from me in terms of setting your goals, I have a link to my best year yet coaching package, which includes both a two hour coaching session with me and a one year subscription to the best year yet software. Now, I just wanna be really clear, you guys, I did not create the best year yet software, but I love it and I'm a certified best year yet coach. So I help people create the best year that they've ever had. And I love the software. It helps me set, track, and score my goals, which to some people may sound super nerdy. (laughs) And it kind of is, but it really has helped me stay on track for the last seven years that I've been using it. So I'm a little bit of a fan when it comes to the software. And in terms of my process around setting my goals, so every Monday I set my goals for the week or for the month, if it's the beginning of a new month. And I find that the software really helps me stay on track. And I really see it as one of the secret sauce ingredients that helps me get lots of done. (laughs) Insert your word for that, right? I work with pet business owners privately using the Best Year Yet system like uh, I was talking about in terms of the coaching program that I have. And I also have a group coaching program coming up and it's my jumpstart four-week pet business program. 
And the Jumpstart program contains the software and it also will help you recover from pet business burnout, as well as really guide you to create goals, systems, and strategies. It's gonna allow you to experience more organization and breathing space in your business. It sounds good, right? Yes. Ah, let's all take a deep breath, folks. <laughs> I'll have a link to the Jumpstart program in the show notes, so feel free to check everything or nothing out. You know, if you're drawn to any or all the offerings, great. If not, no worries. I have also included the free goal setting workbook as part of the links that you can download there. Also, if you haven't yet joined the Prosperous Pet Business Group on Facebook, I'm going to include a link for that in the show notes as well. And speaking of show notes, here they are, prosperouspetbusiness.com forward slash podcast 23. That's the number 23. I'm going to repeat that, prosperouspetbusiness.com forward slash podcast 23. So... Today's segment is an interview I did with Wayne Paselli for the Prosperous Pet Business online conference. For those of you who don't know who he is, he's the CEO of the Humane Society of the United States. And the night before I interviewed him, he had had dinner with Jane Goodall. <laughs> and a few months before I interviewed him, he had been on Oprah's Super Soul Sunday. So he's got a very loyal following of people who really love what he's up to. And my experience of him is that he has a really big heart and a spirit of integrity. And I really love what he has to share about creating a humane economy. I really am hoping you enjoy this segment and I'll see you on the other side of this interview. Hi everyone, I am Kristen Morrison. I am the founder of Six Figure Pet Sitting Academy and Six Figure Pet Business Academy. I'm the creator of the Prosperous Pet Business Online Conference. I'm here with Wayne Paselli. He is the CEO of the United States Humane Society. Some of you may know about that organization. He's also the author of a fantastic book. I highly, highly recommend it called Humane Economy. And I'm just so, so excited to have you here today, Wayne. Thank you for being here. I'm delighted to be with you and all the other folks participating in the conference. Yeah, it's great. So I, I want to talk a little bit. I want to start off with your newest book, Humane Economy. And I love the title. I love the meaning behind it. I'd love to hear your meaning behind <laughs> that title. Well, as you and everybody else participating know that animals are a big part of our lives. I mean, they're all around us. Uh, obviously, we have a love affair with our pets. Uh, but in the broader sense, we have all sorts of interactions with animals. Many of them are economic interactions. In my book, The Humane Economy, how uh, innovators and enlightened consumers are transforming the lives of animals is really kind of a big picture meditation on our relationship with animals. And it's designed not just to make a moral argument for humane treatment of animals, but an economic argument. That now in our society, we have so much awareness about animals, their consciousness, their capacity to suffer. Uh, we're connected to them. We're fascinated by them. That there is enough cultural connection to animals that businesses that do the wrong thing for animals 
are at risk. Yeah. And businesses that do the right thing for animals have incredible opportunities. It used to be viewed that adhering to animal protection was going to be a sacrifice for us as individuals or for businesses. Now, as I say, it's an opportunity. And I think the humane economy is where we need to go. That's mm -hmm. the future. Uh, and really what I'm advocating for is marrying our business activities with our values. Uh, when we do that, we create the humane economy. That's so gorgeous. I love that so much. And I think, you know, I work with a lot of pet business owners who are really in need of determining what their values are. Like they don't really know what their values are. And a lot of us go through life not really knowing, just sort of living our lives. So how do we determine what our values are? Well, that's a really good observation. I mean, so many of our interactions with animals have been happening for so long that we think it's just the natural order of things. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, really what we argue at the Humane Society of the United States is that we have duties to animals. We don't talk so much about animal rights here, and we speak more about human responsibility. Mm. Our, you know, duty to animals is to be kind to them, to be merciful. And whether you look at our legal traditions, where all states have anti-cruelty statutes now, and malicious cruelty is a felony level offense now in all 50 states, or you look at our religious traditions, certainly Christian traditions of, of mercy and, and kindness and tenderness to animals, thinking about the first animal rescue story is in the first book of the Bible, hmm. Genesis with Noah rescuing two of every kind of animal. I mean, there is a creation care story that's built into the Bible and is part of our, of our Catholic catechism. It's part of all of the um, uh, major denominations of Christianity. Mm -hmm. Frankly, it's also true of Buddhism and Hinduism and even Islam and certainly Judaism. Mm -hmm. So whether you come at this from a secular or religious perspective, we are supposed to be good to animals. And that means something in the real world where you have a pet trade where animals can come from puppy mills or they can come from a responsible breeder. It means something in agriculture where animals can be raised on a factory farm or they can be more carefully cared for by a family farmer who is uh, engaging in animal husbandry. You can buy cosmetics that are tested on animals or you can buy cosmetics that are not tested on animals. These are choices that all of us have as individuals and these are choices that companies and businesses make mm -hmm. to align with animal welfare values or to be at odds with animal welfare values. Mm -hmm. And my argument is that there's a rising tide of consciousness. There is an emerging set of actions that lead us very clearly in the direction of taking a humane economy and building it and growing it so that, you know, we really squeeze animal cruelty out of it entirely. Mm, well said. And, you know, when we're living our life according to our values and running our business according to our values, there's a congruency there. And I really feel like clients feel it. They feel us living into our values. Well, I agree with you entirely. You know, one of my board members, uh, the CEO of Whole Foods Market, John Mackey, wrote a book called Conscious Capitalism. And he says that every business should have a higher purpose. You know, for Whole Foods Market, he says, you know, it's about producing wholesome foods that make us feel better and that are, that are good and nutritious for us. But every company has a higher mission and purpose. And, you know, all of the companies that are involved in the pet space 
mm-hmm. can be companies that are honoring our values about being good to animals. I mean, that's at the center of the business. Why shouldn't it be at the center of our thinking in terms of our collective consciousness mm-hmm. uh, about animals? So I think we feel better when we do the right thing as well. You know, we you look at this notion or this concept of humanity, right? Being humane. Mm. What's the root of humane? It's human. It's about us. And I know I feel better sometimes giving a gift than receiving a gift. And I think that, you know, when we do something good for others, it just fills us. You know, it's good for us. It's nourishing for us. And when we show altruism and goodness to animals, it makes us better as individuals. And in the broadest sense, when we act collectively and as businesses to help animals, we build a stronger civil society. And, you know, I just think it's good for business. You know, I think of PetSmart and Petco, you know, as the big companies in pet supply. Yeah. They decided not to get dogs from puppy mill operations. They now throw open their doors to rescue groups and shelters. They've adopted out more than 11 million dogs and cats at their thousands of outlets Mm -hmm. since they started this program. And what they saw is that the, the adopters spend five times as much money at the store <laughs> than the non-adopters. So the people who have a psychic high yeah. just bringing a new family member into their lives are big spenders. I mean, that's great for the bottom line. So they've done something good for the world and they've done something good mm. for their business. I mean, what's wrong with that story? Everybody wins. Yes. It's so amazing. I love it. And, you know, I think about you, and I know you haven't always been with the Humane Society. You've had a number of other career paths. <laughs> and I'm just imagining that you've probably always had a love of animals and how beautiful that it led you to being the CEO of the Humane Society. What was that path like for you? Well, I wrote a book. I'll, I'll grab it real Yeah. Um, my first book is called The Bond, uh, Our Kinship with Animals, Our Call to Defend Them. And in this book, I argue that we humans have an instinctive connection with other creatures. It's built into us. It's hardwired into us. Now, it doesn't dictate everything we do, obviously, in terms of our relationship with animals. That requires our active thinking and our active participation in the idea of being good to animals. But I argue that this instinct that we have gives us a head start. Mm-hmm. You only need to look at the behavior of kids and how they're drawn to animals to see that it's an inclination that they have. And if you look at the whole kind of human presence on the planet, for 99% of human history, we were hunters and gatherers immersed in nature, had animals all around us. Um, the tribal societies that anthropologists study uh, note that the uh, tribalists have an intense knowledge of animals and plants and all of nature. That's our history. That's why even in major cities like New York City or Washington, D.C., right in the middle of the city is a big park because we're drawn to nature. Mm-hmm. It's no accident that in our urban and suburban environments where most of us live now, we bring animals into our homes. We have pets in our homes. Obviously, an enormous number of dogs and cats, but also rabbits and guinea pigs. And if you add up all the animals in our homes, there are more pets than people in American households. This is extraordinary. Yeah. This really is the modern expression, one of the modern expressions of the human-animal bond. And I had it in spades. You know, when I was a kid, I loved animals. 
I didn't have any particular family influence that drove me in that direction. It was just part of me. Mm-hmm. As I got older, I really started to take a bigger look at what we're doing to animals and with animals. And I saw that a relationship with animals is full of contradictions. We say that we love animals. We act in ways that reflect that love and that sensibility. But in other ways, we're deeply disassociated from so much cruelty that occurs, whether it's on puppy mills or on factory farms, in dog fighting pits or conch fighting pits, mm-hmm. horse slaughter and horse soaring. I mean, there are so many problems in our human relationship with animals where people take advantage of animals, either for profit or for whim or for recreation. And I think we've got to take an honest look at that, mm-hmm. understanding that for most people, it's probably not, again, something that's diabolical, but something that just became the norm for them. It mm-hmm. became acceptable. They rationalized it. They justified it in certain ways. And I don't think that that is a satisfactory explanation for continuing a practice that's fraught with moral problems. And I've asked in both of my books, The Bond and also The Humane Economy, that people take an honest look at our relationship with animals and enter into that question, recognizing that cruelty to animals is wrong, that animals are capable of suffering, and that if we accept those tenets, that means we've got to act on these principles. Mm-hmm. And so what can we as pet business owners do? You know, we're service-based businesses. What can we do to assist in that? Well, pause. yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, by providing products and services for our pets, you're helping animals. You're giving them quality uh, life and life experiences that matter to them that are emotionally meaningful. You're helping to promote and deepen the human-animal bond that's at the foundation of those relationships between people and animals. But as I mentioned with John Mackey of Whole Foods, you know, what's the higher purpose of your company? Mm -hmm. It's not just about making money. I mean, that is a necessary ingredient for a business to succeed and to continue its operations. So I'm not saying that's unimportant. I think it's very important, but that's just one metric. What's your higher purpose? Do you want to, you know, raise awareness about issues? Do you want to strengthen that human-animal bond? Do you want to pick out an issue within the wide range of subjects that touch animal welfare and contribute in some meaningful way to that, whether it's helping, you know, veterans connect with with animals after the vets come back from their service to our country, or Mm -hmm. uh, whether it's having uh, animals in a senior center that enrich the lives of people uh, whom they touch, or whether it's, you know, working on some of the issues that sometimes may be a little bit more controversial, like the puppy mills or some of the other problems. All of us as citizens can have a role to play as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, we can advocate for policies that reflect our care and compassion for animals. We can live our lives in ways that reflect an awareness of the wide range of problems that exist. So the things that we do are, are very meaningful and high impact. And in the humane economy, at the end of the book, I list 10 ways that everybody can help animals, that things you can do in your life, 10 things you can do to contribute to a humane economy. And I really ask people to think about reading that list Mm -hmm. and taking action because, you know, there are real problems now in our relationship with animals. I mean, there is a lot of goodness, 
and a lot of celebration of the human-animal bond. But there's this other side, and I think, you know, serious-minded people are going to work to turn those problems around. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. And, you know, as you were talking, I was remembering something in the book about your recent adoptee, adoptee dogs or dog and cat, right? Yes. So you, it's funny because I could relate to that because I currently don't have a pet. And a lot of people look at me and they're like, you must have a ton of pets, you know, but we, we do a lot of traveling, you know, and so we will be getting a dog, a rescue dog in the near future. But I'd love to know a little bit about your experience of not having a pet for a few years, it sounded like, and then getting one. Well, I've had cats for just about my whole adult life. Growing up, I, I had dogs, then had cats, and now I have a dog and a cat, and my little Lily, my dog, is sleeping right over here. Aww. And uh, I'm at the office. We have a dogs in the office policy at the Humane Society of the United States, which is frankly something to think about in terms of companies' benefits policies. This is one of our most popular benefits at the organization that you can bring your animal into the office. It saves on doggy daycare expenses. It allows you to have some fabulous interactions with your animal during the heart of the day, gets you out of your chair or the dogs because you then get outside and uh, can walk the animal, get a little break away from the computer and from the phone. It's a fantastic benefit. So with Lily, um, my wife and I adopted her from a local PetSmart. I decided that despite all my uh, very extensive travel, my wife and I you know, wanted to have a dog in addition to a cat. And we, you know, obviously have a lot of people here at the Humane Society who have a lot of connections to animals, I, I do. And one of my colleagues uh, volunteers with a local rescue group that supplies PetSmart with um, needy and homeless animals to adopt out. And Lily was just about to be euthanized at a rural shelter in, in um, Spotsylvania County, uh, Virginia. And she, you know, is at the time she was four, maybe, maybe five, probably closer to four. And she was a fabulous girl. She's, she's skittish uh, a little bit, but that was something I knew that we could work with. And she was about to be killed. You know, she had no major medical issues. I mean, she had some things that needed to solve. She had some tooth problems and she had some uh, ear problems, but all could be addressed with a little bit of medical attention. No reason to kill her. Uh, but that's what happens uh, every day in the United States because not enough people are choosing adoption. Uh, not enough people are spaying and neutering uh, animals to maintain a population that's in line with the number of available homes. Mm-hmm. And she was going to be a victim, but now she's uh, a family member for us. We absolutely love her. Uh, you know, when I travel a lot, I get so excited to see her when I come home. Mm-hmm. And honestly, during the day, you know, when I have so many things that are really tough to stomach, you know, the latest footage that we get from our raid of a dog meat farm in South Korea or uh, our raiding a puppy mill somewhere. And you see the incredible cruelty that these animals have endured. And you're thankful that, you know, we're part of an organization that can ride to the rescue. Mm-hmm. But you also think, I mean, how many others are out there that we can't get to? Mm-hmm. And I look at Lily amidst all of that emotional pain that I experience as a routine element of my job. 
and I just have a smile that washes across my face when I look at her. And that's the joy mm-hmm. of animals in our lives. That's what they bring to us. It's not just that we're taking care of an animal in need, which is a wonderful and good thing, but we're getting something back. We're getting the friendship, the companionship, uh, the laughter uh, that comes along in that relationship. And it's so meaningful. That's why so many people have pets. They, they are part of our lives now. Yeah, and it really opens our heart, you know, in a different way than humans do. There's something about it, at least for me, and I know for a lot of the pet business owners out there. Well, they're so they're so vulnerable, you know. They're so innocent. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're so dependent on us. I mean, I think it draws our our best instincts out, and that's a that's a good thing when we can express our humanity. Mm-hmm. Want to take what you're learning from the podcast and begin to apply it in your own pet business so you can see powerful results? The Pet Business Online Course Learning Platform can help you do that. You'll find instant access courses that can help you launch or grow your pet business starting right now. You can watch, listen, and learn from the courses right now or whenever works best for you and from wherever you're at in the world. The How to Start Your Pet Sitting and Dog Walking Business in 7 Days online course gives you step-by-step instruction and comprehensive tools to help you launch your own pet care business and get paying clients in just one week. The four-week Pet Business Catapult program provides a weekly comprehensive plan to help you create systems and strategies so you can work on your business instead of in your business. You'll also learn exactly what you need to find, hire, and train quality staff and attract high-paying, profitable clients. With these classes and the many other online classes you'll find on the course platform, you can take your pet business to a new level of growth and success starting right now. Go to PetBusinessCourses.com. That's PetBusinessCourses.com or use the online learning platform link in the show notes page to start transforming your pet business right now. You'll find many classes for all your business needs, including how to get your website higher on the search engines and how to use Facebook marketing to grow your pet business, plus many others. New courses are added monthly. These online courses provide solutions and actionable steps so you can quickly take your business to a new level of growth and profitability. And you'll receive your courses in less than 60 seconds after ordering. To find out more, go to PetBusinessCourses.com. And I just, going back to the values conversation that we were having, I know that for you, you're a vegan and that is your personal value of aligning what you're putting in your body with your values. I'm not a vegan. I do eat meat, but I'm interested in that. And I have a lot of friends that are vegans. And so I just would love to hear a little bit about that process that led you to being a vegan. Well, you know, I grew up in a uh, a middle-class family. My father was a phys ed teacher in high school, and he was the football coach. My mother had some part-time secretarial work because she couldn't do it full-time because there were four kids. It's an Italian and Greek family where food was at the center of the experience. And I ate meat and loved it, and that was, you know, just part of my upbringing. And no one was trying to hurt animals when we ate meat. It was just, you know what everybody did. Mm-hmm. And when I got to college, I, I really started to probe this question of, of animal protection and what we should do as individuals. And I you know, started reading and I looked at films and I saw images of factory farming and I saw images of hands jammed into cages that were so 
confining the animals couldn't even move. I saw the same images for veal calves and breeding sows in the pig industry. I thought, you know, I just don't want to be a part of this. And mm. I decided right then and there that I was going to stop eating animals and eat, eat uh, you know, plant-based foods. And it was the right decision for me. It's been now 32 years of, uh, of, uh, of eating uh, in that manner. And it's easier now than ever because of the incredible array of products that exist yeah. in the marketplace, many of which are facsimiles for the types of products that I was familiar with as a kid you know, veggie burgers and all sorts of stuff is available to us. In terms of milk now, you know, we don't just need dairy milk. We have almond milk and soy milk and coconut milk and rice milk. They're incredible options for us. But I want to underscore that, you know, we're not an orthodox organization at HSUS. We don't say, you know, you've got to be a vegetarian or a vegan to be part of us. Mm-hmm. The vast majority of our members are not vegetarians or vegans. Uh, we take a pluralistic approach. We want people taking intentional steps to help animals. Mm-hmm. Whether that is thinking about your food choices and eating more plant-based foods, or it's eating more humanely produced animal mm-hmm. products, cage-free eggs, free-range eggs, pork that comes from animals who've had an opportunity to be outside. You know, you get it. You know, there are plenty of ways that people can take steps to reflect conscious eating. Meatless Mondays is a great example. Mm-hmm. We ask people to think about not eating meat one day a week. Many of us eat plant-based foods without even realizing having a spaghetti dinner or, you know, a, a great big salad or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. So if we stopped eating meat one day a week, one seventh of the week, we would save more than 8 billion animals a year. That's of course, if we didn't compensate eating more meat the other days of the week. But that is incredible. We raise 9 billion animals a year. And I've been to factory farms for pigs and chickens, laying hens. I've been to slaughter plants. I have seen it firsthand. And for so many of us, we're deeply disassociated from it. It's removed from our experience. And to me, the, the pigs and the, and the other farm animals have a, a life force that's the same as a dog or a cat. They are intelligent and they have social needs. And, uh, you know, it's just because we've been doing it for a long time doesn't mean we should continue. And there's no real rationale for eating the amount of meat that we do, 220 pounds per person uh, per year. Mm. And the largest uh, meat intake per capita in the world, more than the Argentinian, certainly more than the French. And it's an animal cruelty problem because most of the animals are raised on factory farms, but it's also a resource issue. Mm-hmm. You know, we have animals were identified a long time ago by a writer named Francis Moore LePay as protein factories in reverse. Mm-hmm. We take a lot of feed crops like soybean and corns and feed them to animals who inefficiently convert that plant matter to animal protein. Mm-hmm. It means we put a lot of land into cultivation. 80% of corn and soybeans are fed to animals, not to people. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are greenhouse gas emissions. There are incredible inputs of antibiotics and hormones. I mean, I think it's a serious issue. And again, we're not saying you've got to have a specific endpoint. That's the only way you should be. We should be thinking about it. If we are concerned about pets and animals, we should be thinking about the biggest category of animals in use in our society, and that's agricultural animals. And wherever you land, do something make some intentional action to reflect a conscious awareness of trying to make things a little bit better. So 
switching gears just a little bit, one final question, and I know this is unrelated to what you've talked about here, but a lot of pet business owners are really struggling with feeling burned out and stressed out, especially, you know, those that are out there that are really busy. They've got a lot of clients. And I know that you have a very full work and personal life. So what do you do to recharge and what kind of guidance could you give the pet business owners out there who are struggling with being so busy? Well, it's a very real issue. And, uh, you know, it's not easy for me. And it's not easy for a lot of people. When you're passionate about something, Mm -hmm. uh, when you've got a lot of duties, you know, it can really eat you up in some ways. And, you know, for me, and again, I think each of us is different. We have different motivations and experiences. But for, for me, I amidst all of the cruelty that I see and all the frustration that I feel about apathy or ignorance on these issues or, you know, people who just don't seem to care, I, I really focus on the people who do care. And they nourish me. They give me hope. You know, I was with Jane Goodall last evening where she gave a lecture and and I was able to spend 10 or 15 minutes with her in advance of the lecture. And this is an 83-year-old woman who travels 300 days a year. She, you know, obviously had a, a fabulous career as an ethologist studying chimpanzees. She, you know, became a global star for her scientific work. And she doesn't need to do what she does, but she said, listen, I've been possessed with a, um, a real physical strength. And I also have been given gifts of communication, she said. Mm. And I said, I saw what was going on with animals and I wanted to do something. So she travels 300 days a year. Wow. I mean, I would, you know, I travel a lot. And I have a really hard job. And I think, oh my God. And then I think the woman is 83. Yeah. Just extraordinary commitment. So I look at her and I think, oh, I'm so inspired by her. Mm -hmm. So. You know, be inspired by others is one thing. I think also celebrate the successes that you have. Mm -hmm. so if you've done something great in your business, celebrate it. Feel good about it. You know, when we have pass a, a big bill or get a new corporate policy, you know, when we convince Walmart to do something or when we get our money to change or, you know, whatever it is, when we take animals from a butcher's block in South Korea that are going to be killed dogs were going to be killed for meat consumption and we fly them back from South Korea and give them to local shelter partners that we have who adopt them out and give them a whole new life. I mean, that is a cause for celebration. So whatever sort of scoop you can get out of life that is nourishing, I say, take it. And uh, we all have to find that balance. Obviously, you know, we're all different too in terms of our patterns, but you know, for me, it's important to you know, move my body and exercise a little bit and get a little break from things every once in a while. Yeah. I have to say, I'm so excited that you're the CEO of the Humane Society of the United States. I can feel your heart hmm. and your passion. And, you know, I just think about all the people who perhaps, you know, were in line for your job and just how thrilled I am that you are the one because I feel your values and your heart behind what you're doing. And 
you're just up to some amazing things in the world and making such a difference in the lives of animals. Well, listen, that's a very nice and generous thought, and uh, I'm flattered by the comment. Every day that I'm here, I honestly feel privileged. I do really take this job very seriously, and a lot of people ask me because I've been at it for a while. I've been CEO for 13 years, and I was here 10 years before as, as the chief political and communications person. I say, God, you must really love your job. I say, yeah, I kind of, you know, at some level, but it's a hard job. I say that it's really more of a duty. Mm-hmm. You know, I do this work because I care so much about these outcomes. I care about how animals are treated in Alabama or Maryland or Bangladesh or Norway. You know, animals are everywhere. Mm-hmm. I want to transform the way we humans treat animals. And I want to have all of us be winners. I want business to win. I want government to win. I want animals to win. And I, I don't think that this notion is operational anymore that, you know, if we're good to animals, then we're going to be doing without. That is an old construct. We humans have this incredible mind. When we see an animal problem out there, we can fix it. We can figure it out. We can problem solve. We can get around these problems, maintain our standard of living, have a good life, have everything we need, all the necessities met for us without leaving a trail of animal victims in our wake. And I treat this as a real solemn responsibility. And I'm immensely grateful to you and others who support the work of the organization. You know, without our supporters, we, we would not be anything but a shell of an organization. Mm. Thank you, Wayne, so much. Thank you. I'm grateful for your time today. Thank you so much for what you're up to and just who you are. It's, it's wonderful. Well, thank you very much. And thanks to all of you who do this important work. You know, it's not just nonprofits who help animals. It's businesses that help animals. And uh, together, I hope it all adds up to a humane society. <laughs> I love that. Thank you, Wayne. Take thank care. You. Thank you. Hi, pet business owners. I hope you enjoyed this segment with Wayne Paselli. I would love to hear your comments and your insights, and you can post them in the show notes. Also, I wanted to share a reminder that the Jumpstart four-week pet business program starts soon, and you're going to find a link to that and many other goodies in the show notes too, so do check out them out. And you will find the show notes at prosperouspetbusiness.com forward slash podcast 23. That's the number 23. I'm going to repeat that one more time so you can get it, especially if you're driving. (laughs) Do not be typing it out, but you can just put it in your mind. You ready? Prosperouspetbusiness.com forward slash podcast 23. Have a wonderful week, everybody. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Prosperous Pet Business Podcast. It would be great if you would take a moment to write a quick review on iTunes. For any questions, comments, or pet business coaching topics you would like to hear on future podcasts, please visit us at www.prosperouspetbusiness.com or www.sixfigurepetbusinessacademy.com.